This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 65. We specifically look for CHROs that exhibit both EQ, which I would refer to as self and situational awareness, as well as IQ. We spend time focusing on resiliency. Do they have confidence with a certain degree of humility? Are they strong, proactive communicators? Do they have the ability to strategize and look around corners? Are they ROI focused and driven? Do they think about things in terms of what's the ROI on anything that we invest in? And finally, and probably definitely not least, would be the discipline to prioritize. There are so many things coming your way in these roles that trying to do everything all the time is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for for failure. What makes an HR leader successful in a PE-backed company? What are the key differences between a PE-backed company and a public company? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Randy Patterson. Randy is the Managing Director of Human Capital in the Portfolio Operations Group at Blackstone. Randy and his team is involved with building and developing world-class leadership teams and organizations across Blackstone's portfolio of over 250 companies, which employs more than 700,000 team members. In this unique role, Randy leads the talent and organization performance function, where he and his team focuses on ensuring that portfolio companies have the capabilities to create value and improve performance. Prior to joining Blackstone, Randy served as the CHRO for Wilson Art, and prior to that, Blue Links. Both companies were private equity-backed and gave him great insight on what it takes to be successful in a PE-backed organization. Randy also held HR leadership roles at SunTrust Bank, now Truist Bank, and Home Depot. He's also served on the board directors for several leading HR associations focused on the development and effectiveness of HR leaders and professionals. And I can tell you in this conversation, Randy's passion for giving back and elevating our field was so clear as we discussed what early career experiences were most helpful in preparing him to become a CHRO, the differences between being a CHRO at a private equity-backed company versus a public company, how he assesses potential candidates, experiences, capabilities, and fit for the CHRO role, what makes a first-time CHRO successful in a PE-backed company, and how Blackstone's Innovative Career Pathways Program is supporting the advancement of underrepresented talent, and much more. Randy, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, JP? I'm terrific. Excited to have you on the podcast today. Really excited to dig into your career and not only your unique role at Blackstone, but just your career journey and, and your experience in PE-backed companies. I think it's going to be so valuable for our listeners. And so you've been a two-time CHRO. So thinking back in your career, what role or roles were really instrumental in helping you prepare for that top HR job? Great question, JP. And I've, I've thought about this a lot throughout my career. First off, I would probably go to anything that gave me good business-facing experience. I believe that a great business or in our situation, a great investment begins with great talent. 
ultimately results in a high-performing organization. So said another way, one of the most common reasons for a lack of success is likely started with the organization's ability to attract and select the right talent. Even here at Blackstone, our department, the name of our function is called talent and organizational performance, which I think emphasizes our belief in this connection. I discovered this firsthand by serving as the sole HR leader on a leadership team. This is often referred to as an HR business partner, senior HR business level uh, partner for an autonomous business unit where I was the only HR person in the room. And I helped with setting the overall business strategy, which meant on a weekly and a monthly and a quarterly basis, I was analyzing business results, translating that into HR strategies and HR priorities and initiatives. And I really think this forced me to really understand business better and to bring a business mindset first. It also kept me centered on making sure that I was always solving business problems or customer problems first and not really quickly jumping to feeling like an HR hammer looking to hit HR nails. I felt that this experience really helped me to develop the right talent strategy for the business that would really help the business grow. As far as HR experience, I really valued a lot of the COE or center of excellence, center of expertise roles that I had throughout my career because I thought they really did a great job of building HR competence. But I really didn't always feel like they challenged me to interpret the business and think about how HR really supported the business. I also didn't really feel like it helped me learn what it meant to serve as a trusted advisor and a confidant to the CEO and to the leadership team. That said, I would say the one COE experience that helped me the most was probably talent management. And when I say talent management, I really feel like this is one of the most important values the CHRO brings or delivers to the business and to help the leadership team. And it's really the one area where I think it brings all the different disciplines of HR together. I think about times where I've helped the leadership team, whether it's building out a new product category or, or expanding our business into a new geography or helping set up an entire organization of employees in a newly acquired business. I just felt like the talent management experiences always seemed to help me the most. I'd also say I would have probably spent a little more time in compensation strategies and programs on how to build those at all levels of the organization. So this is really the strategy and design versus administering and executing these programs, which I think is an HR business partner. Most people do spend a lot of time executing, but just spending more time on the development of the strategy that goes behind it. I think this is often probably found more in the finance function is something that HR could learn a lot from the finance function. I would end though by saying that I do think you can build competence in the area of total rewards and compensation without having served in that role in your career. You just have to be a little bit more deliberate and assertive and learning from peers and supplementing with outside programs to really build that confidence. Yeah, I appreciate you talking a little more about that, Randy, because I do agree with you, understanding how to do compensation design and frameworks and really laying that out, whether that's broad-based compensation or more targeted executive or sales-based compensation, so critical because incentives help us drive performance, right? Which have a direct line to that impact of the business. But it is hard to get that experience unless you are more in a specialty. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I was also curious going back when you were in that role and, and kind of that sole HR person, did you have an HR person you reported to or you were the only HR person in that business unit? Tell us more about that experience. Most of the time I reported whether a dotted or a solid line to the CHRO of the organization, which I thought was great because I'd have somebody who could help mentor me, someone who I could run ideas by. But the difference was I might have an hour with them or two hours a week. I was spending every other hour with that business. 
And so I think that was an important connection to have someone who can help guide you and give you advice, but also figure it out as you go, as you're out in that business and interpreting what's going on and what you're seeing and being the person they go to so that they aren't going to your CHRO for that guidance. They're coming to you and you're seen as that point person. That's an important distinction. You want to be seen as that point person for that business leader, but it's always nice to have another person, a mentor, another HR leader you can go to uh, for that support. Now, you've been a CHRO twice, as we mentioned, and both times they were actually for PE-backed companies. What are some of the differences between a typical PE-backed company and maybe a public company? I've had this question a few times from folks, especially folks trying to translate their former publicly held company experience into private equity and saying, hey, what in the world am I about to to jump into? Can you give me kind of the formula? And this is probably where I spend most of my time describing to the CHRO candidates that I'm speaking with, because they're very interested on like, hey, I want to understand what I'm getting into. A few things come to mind. One is, I think, a strong focus on how to drive growth and create long-term value from the CHRO seat and what I'd probably say is more of a short or long-term investment horizon and doing that in a very fast-paced environment with a tremendous amount of autonomy. For example, you might need to identify a process for a policy on a Monday and have it drafted and deployed on Friday, which was not something I was familiar with much larger organizations that were more mature, where all of those things had already been built by someone years ago. You were building a lot of this stuff for the first time that the company had ever seen it. I'd also say number two, probably many PE-backed portfolio companies have probably teams of 10 or 15 HR folks compared to what sometimes larger, even publicly held companies could have dozens, even hundreds of folks within the HR organization. So this really requires the CHRO to serve more as a player and a coach and have the ability to handle talent strategy with a hands-on approach to really the execution and the attention to detail. This could be anything from analyzing HR data in an Excel spreadsheet one minute to building a PowerPoint for your board the next minute to even spending time on the front line doing town halls with your employees. And the last area I would say would probably just being an open-minded leader with this insatiable amount of intellectual curiosity about the business, about the customers, about its employees, and really leveraging a data-driven, analytical, collaborative style and approach to problem-solving and decision-making. Well, after your two roles as CHROs, you joined Blackstone. And like we talked about, you are currently the managing director of human capital, the portfolio operations group at Blackstone, and your team is focused on building and developing world-class leadership teams and organizations across the portfolio. And more importantly, you talked about talent and performance being the foundation for that, which is, is awesome. But what I think is fascinating about your role is that you actually oversee all the CHROs across Blackstone's portfolio of 230 companies, which employ over 700,000 team members. Talk more about your role and how your team creates value. This is probably a role I've aspired towards for a really long time before I even know this role even existed. It's not the kind of thing that you probably see on a day-to-day basis. But it's funny how often in life the best things end up playing out this way. It's been a really amazing blend of the practical CHRO experience that I've had in my background as well as mixing in executive search, HR consulting, and one of my favorites, HR community building. I've served on the board of numerous different HR associations, and I never really thought I'd be able to leverage that experience in my day-to-day professional life. And it's been able to mix that in with the rest of everything. And it's just created this really rewarding role 
where you're really going to help so many different types of businesses, so many CHROs, so many employees in a way that you just never imagined possible. So, so very rewarding to be able to do something like this. There's really two major buckets that the role consists of. 40% of it, roughly, I spend really helping our CEOs identify the right CHRO for their business. I think it's important to note that this is pretty unique because most of the time, in fact, actually all the time, the CEO would be leveraging their CHRO to help them with any executive search. This is the one time that CEO is on their own completely. And to be that, call it a part-time CHRO for them in this moment is really great because you get to really lend all the things that you've learned throughout your career on what makes that great fit. And whether or not this amazing CHRO over here is the right fit for their amazing opportunity because it isn't always a match. I think it's really important. We do spend a lot of time focusing on translating their value creation plan and determining what competencies and outcomes that the CHRO will deliver. That's also a really important part of the dialogue with the CEO. There's definitely a science to how we do that. And I would also say bringing an appropriate amount of analytical rigor to the assessment process to help make the best decision. It's very easy to jump on to a assessment process and defer to meet someone for an hour and talk about it. And to bring a degree of rigor to that, something objective to help the CEO really go, okay, you're connecting the dots between what my business needs the next five years and what this person really delivers versus this turning into a one-hour coffee discussion where I just really like the person a lot. That's been a, a real great value that I could serve. The other, call it 60% of the role, is focused on really how to support the effectiveness of human capital across the portfolio. I want to be a resource to all of those CEOs, but more importantly, I'm probably more of a resource to the CHROs. This begins with connectivity. We do a lot of things to make sure this community feels connected. We have a private intranet page. We do monthly calls on a varying different degree of topics that the CHROs are facing. We do an in-person annual conference. We do quarterly CHRO orientations. We then leverage this kind of connectivity and community to generate regular insights through polls and surveys and focus groups all of which that help our CHROs benchmark their performance and learn from the best practices of others. The key here is that we share how these practices are of value to their company and then how to use and tweak them for their personal needs versus just simply copying and pasting what they've heard from somewhere else. Lastly, I think we build best-in-class resources for these CHROs to be able to pull from. This might be a playbook or a toolkit or a template For example, we have an amazing succession and development planning toolkit that our portfolio companies can leverage on how to deploy an employee engagement strategy and survey strategy and what are some of the great providers of these systems that you could leverage all the way through to compensation committee planning. A lot of our first time CHROs have never led a compensation committee or human capital committee process and just really helping them through all that. So again, I think it's just an amazing resource. It's something that Anyone who's ever been a CHRO would probably tell you that if they could have that type of community, that amount of resources available to them, it would make that first role much more effective. Absolutely. I think a lot of CHROs, especially first-time CHROs, would love to have that safety net, really, the expertise, the community that you guys talked about. It sounds like you've created a really amazing support system for the CHROs at Blackstone, the portfolio companies. It really does sound like an incredible rule to Randy. So I'm a little jealous. I think it does uh, sound like something that's terrific and you're lucky to be in that role. One of the other things you do is we talked about 
is you help your portfolio companies select the right senior HR leaders. Let's talk a little bit more about that. How do you assess leaders, HR leaders' capabilities for fit in the role? JP, we spend really the beginning of the process just trying to understand applicable and transferable experiences, whether that's scale or industry, all of these things really feel that it helps the CHROs to gain traction sooner, increases the likelihood of success in that role. We also acknowledge that there are dozens of potential competencies to be found in an HR leader, but we specifically look for CHROs that exhibit both EQ, which I would refer to as self and situational awareness, as well as IQ. We spend time focusing on resiliency. Do they have confidence with a certain degree of humility? Are they strong, proactive communicators? Do they have the ability to strategize and look around corners? Are they ROI-focused and driven? Do they think about things in terms of what's the ROI on anything that we invest in? And finally, and probably definitely not least, would be the discipline to prioritize. There are so many things coming your way in these roles that trying to do everything all the time is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for, for failure. And to make sure folks have that deep down discipline to prioritize what needs to be done. I also love to ask the CHROs for their thoughts on several real life hypotheticals that a business is facing to get a sense of how they would work with the company's leadership and HR team. This might include how to respond to a particular disruption, which in the last five years, we've definitely had our fair share of those, whether it's a pandemic or social unrest, uh, geopolitical events, getting an idea how they respond. This also kind of gives pretty good sense of some of their more progressive HR practices. What are they doing in the world of predictive analytics? Have they thought about artificial intelligence? Are they already deploying it and leveraging it? And then I also, of course, get to see some of the more tried and true ones like session planning, employee engagement, workforce planning, and agility. Also really kind of thinking about third-party assessments. We leverage a number of different things, such as Hogan, to identify additional insights. And really the goal there is to give us more insights and areas to probe as we spend more and more time with each candidate. It really helps us to get to know them in a shorter time frame, lets us get much more focused on what is the best fit for both the company and for the candidate. Last but not least, we give a lot of weight to recommendations and insights from trusted leaders in our network, which also includes alumni of different portfolio companies, especially CHROs. We only spent a few days with many of these candidates, whereas someone who's worked with them for many, many years has so much more insight to share with us about that candidate and their potential fit for that role. Really helpful, Randy, to hear that. And in my experience, PE companies do really well on talent because there's a short investment cycle and time period. You've got to get the role right. That I think sometimes PE companies, PE back companies go double down on the assessment piece. I mean, they really want to make sure they get the right leader in that role. And I'm not saying that public companies don't, but the rigor and the time and the investment and the money that sometimes PE companies will put into to assessing, getting to know that talent, doing backdoor references in some ways superior than public companies. And I don't really know why. I'm curious if you have perspective on that, but that's just my impression. You may see it differently, but that's yeah. how I've seen it. I just think there's so much more weight each hire has on that organization. I mentioned it before, when you have an organization that has a total of 10 people in the entire HR organization, each member of that HR team is so critical. Each one of them ultimately represents 10% of the department. Sometimes if you have hundreds of people in an organization or hundreds of leaders or hundreds of people in the HR organization, there is some space for you to make more mistakes. 
in hiring because you know you've got really strong talent that can compensate for those mistakes. I just feel like there's less room for error. And whenever in life, whatever you're doing, there's less room for error. You put a lot more energy and effort to getting it right. And so I think that's really what's encouraged us to put so much time and energy here. That's well said and very helpful to think about the differences there. You're right. Those hires do mean so much when you've got such a small team and really big goals usually as well. Yes. Now, Randy, also my understanding is about half of the CHROs across Blackstone's portfolios are first-time CHROs. And over the past two years, you've helped successfully identify and select 45 CHROs yourself or your team has helped do that. Tell us more about what makes a first-time CHRO successful in a PE-backed company. For starters, I would say I'm a little bit biased because I do believe that not only in a private equity portfolio, but in the Blackstone portfolio, it's an amazing way to start your career in a CHRO seat. We have such a strong CHRO community. I just feel like it gives all the support and resources you need available to you in that first role. You are somewhat consciously incompetent in some situations, unconsciously incompetent. And in that kind of situation, it's all about the resources available to you. And so we work very hard to make sure those resources are not just there, but that they're visible. Number two, I would say we look for folks that have seen great HR. And sometimes that's referred to as an academy HR organization, but sometimes it's less known. The key is that you've learned from somebody who really took you under their wing, that really developed great HR practices, great business acumen, and really helped to develop that within you. So I spent a little bit of time, even with new CHROs, trying to make sure that they're pulling out some of those learnings from past experiences, but more importantly, realizing it's not a cut and paste. What worked in one company won't work here. The key is that that experience helped you to think for yourself to the degree that you can apply those learnings to figure out things that you should and sometimes should not do in the next role. And I just feel like the folks that have had those great HR mentors, they just seem to be more successful. Number three, I would say, yes. Do we look for folks that have had an exposure to private equity-backed companies and things like that? Of course we do. But I wouldn't say that's the only way of getting similar experience. I look for folks that have worked in a similar environment. And often that means maybe they were the head of HR for a, an autonomous business unit where they really owned the HR function. And yes, they were tied to a larger organization. But they really were out there on their own, whether it was for North America or Europe or Asia, or it was for an entire autonomous business line, really digging into how they perform the role and how they were able to pull resources together to get the role done. And then lastly, I think once you're in this seat, you really have to be able to build, organize and lead a strong HR team as quick as possible. So that means day one, you're already thinking about how do I put my HR team together? What are the roles and responsibilities? How are those tied back to supporting the business? Also, how do I build an external system and network to help me solve the random questions and issues of the day? And the ones that seem to do that early on, I would say in the first 60, 90 days, they build that foundation, that infrastructure. They're really setting themselves up for the next three to five years. Because if they don't do that, it shows up years later when the role just eventually becomes too much versus being able to take everything that's thrown your way because you built the system around you. I honestly feel like I go back to my, my years working with the Home Depot, where I spent a lot of time in very large HR organizations where you didn't really have to build or invent anything yourself, but you had to know where to go find the answer in very short order. I felt like building a relationship with my peers was the best thing I, I ever did. 
it paid itself off so many times throughout my career where I just needed to be able to borrow best practices from peers and deploy them in my business. Really helpful to understand that piece around what makes someone successful in that PE-backed role for the first time. Let's talk about the opposite situation and what are some of the common reasons that CHROs are not successful in a PE-backed company? One of my favorites one is probably humility. And it, it, it's not what it probably sounds like as much as it's, it's really easy when you've had a great HR career to kind of think like, I've figured it out. I got it all mastered. I can come into a role and I, I will be great. And I really look for folks that have a certain degree of humility that they don't have all the answers. They haven't got all the different competencies they need from their past experiences, and they are going to have to continue to learn on the job. Someone that comes into the system that, that also doesn't seek out support or help from the community. I do spend a little bit of time speaking with CHRO candidates, just, okay, when you face a problem you've never faced before, what's your first phone call? To who and why and what do you do with it? And it's amazing to hear what folks say. I and mean, there are literally people who will double down and say, I learned it all. And it just doesn't seem to work. And it doesn't matter where you've worked or how great of an HR system you've worked in. There's not enough years to build confidence in everything we face on a day-to-day basis. So I say a certain degree of humility. Number two kind of goes hand in hand with this, but I think it's folks getting into the role and neglecting areas or blind sight or blindly delegating areas that they're not familiar with. So they go, oh, I've always come up through this track of HR. So everything else I'm going to delegate and just stay as far away from as I can. And I'm going to gravitate towards the stuff I've done in my career. I think that can often, often be a recipe for failure simply because these roles require you to have a basic understanding of all the things going on in HR. It doesn't mean that you don't hire great HR people to work with you, but you have to stay engaged with what they're doing. You, at the end of the day, you represent the function. You represent it to the leadership team. You represent it to the CEO and to your board. And for that reason, you've got to have a pretty good grasp of everything going on in the function. And last but not least would be just keeping pace. So what that means is these jobs, every day there's a new challenge. And finding ways to solve problems on a daily basis in real time. I can't tell you how often folks are like, hey, let me get back to you. Or hey, let me research this and find it out. Versus in real time, solving the problem with someone and staying on the call till you do it. It's okay to have a brainstorming session with someone where you say, hey, we're just going to for 30 minutes or an hour. Think through a problem and problem shoot it together on that call versus putting it on a to-do list or something I'll follow up later today or tomorrow. And that to-do list continues to grow and grow and grow. And before you know it, it's the end of the month and you've got 25 things you haven't solved yet. So I think the folks that have been the most successful have a tendency to really solve most of the things that come their way on a daily basis and then only move the things on to the next day or week or month that are necessary. It's great advice, probably even for any first-time CHRO to think about what you talked about, whether it's PE-backed or, or publicly traded. Another thing I know that you really are proud of, Randy, is something that Black, called Blackstone's Career Pathways Program. Can you tell us more about the, this important program and how it's making a difference? I'd love to. This is definitely a very important program for us and all of our portfolio companies. But to give you a little bit of background on Blackstone Career Pathways, it's really a program that helps to broaden and build a high quality talent network for our portfolio to really recruit, develop, and advance talent. The program specifically helps access historically untapped talent pools to help our companies build more representative workforces and inclusive cultures, which I think in turn leads to stronger companies 
that can create lasting value for our investors. So it's really done in two different ways. One, I think, is to increase access, which is working with our portfolio companies to increase access to entry and mid-level jobs for historically underrepresented talent. But it also helps enable advancement with the support of various other partner organizations. We try to help enable advancement of historically underrepresented talent into and out of entry and mid-level jobs and move them up through their career ladder in those organizations. I give you a couple of, of really exciting, I'd say, outputs from this program that we've been able to accomplish as a part of this program. But we have nearly 50 of our portfolio companies that are active, I'd say, participants of the Career Pathways program. And that's resulted in over 6,000 hires of untapped talent across these organizations and over 700 promotions of untapped talent across the participating portfolio companies. And it's just really an amazing program with a great team that helps deliver it and something that really sets us apart from anything else I've seen. That's incredible. And it's awesome to see Blackstone doing that and giving back. And you know, 6,000 folks, 700 promotions, that's, they're changing 700 lives there, right? Or more. So that's tremendous. Well, in JP, I'd Any say, advice? you know, that's yeah. one of the biggest reasons why many of us got into HR, right? There's nothing more rewarding than seeing people's careers grow. And when you're in HR, you get to play a firsthand role in making people's career dreams come true. And I just can't think of anything more rewarding than that. 100% agree with you, Randy. Last question for you. What is one word or phrase you believe will define the future of HR in the next five to 10 years? I'm going to have to go with the phrase on this one, JP. I would say it's getting smart about the future of intelligence. I think many of us have been following the world of artificial intelligence over the last year or so, but human intelligence will have to adapt to better leverage and to manage artificial intelligence to improve your business. My advice is don't stand back and wait to be forced to adapt to this changing technology, but at a minimum, challenge yourself to better understand how it works and explore ways to leverage it in your daily life and stay current on its potential use in your organization. I just think this is critical for all HR professionals at this time. I love it. Get smart around future intelligence. Randy Patterson, thank you so much for being on the Future of HR podcast. We've learned a lot and really appreciate you coming over. Thanks for having me, JP. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Randy for sharing his experiences and insights on what it takes to be a successful PE-backed CHRO. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. If you enjoy this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share our podcast with at least one other person, or even better, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps us with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Melissa Daimler. Melissa is the culture and learning thought leader. She's the chief learning officer for Udemy, and she's the author of Reculturing, Design Your Company Culture to Connect with Strategy and Purpose for Lasting Success. In my conversation with Melissa, we go deep on what reculturing is and the steps you can take to intentionally redesign your company culture and drive your business strategy even further. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.